That was a blessing. Thank you. One message today in two parts. The first half of the message this morning, the second half this afternoon. I would hate that you would only get half of the message. I will assume you'll want to be back this afternoon to hear the preaching of God's Word. The Lord has really convicted me about this message and the following messages, all coming from Colossians. As pastors, you want your people to live for the Lord. Now, you really can't see what's in their heart, but you can see what is evidenced by their actions or their lack of actions. The Bible really can be divided up into two entities. One is theological, and the other is practical. We as pastors can preach both, and we should preach both. What we can really observe is the practical. You see, the Bible is, is very practical. It tells you how to be a good husband. It tells you how to be a good wife. It tells you how to be a good son or daughter. It tells you what things you ought to take part in and what things you ought to avoid. It even tells you how to dress and how to, to not dress. It tells you the kind of attitude that you should have and not have. It even tells you about the kinds of friends you should have and not have. The Bible's very practical. And it's that practical side that sometimes concerns us pastors. Well, let me be honest. It frustrates us pastors sometimes because you can see if somebody's not living the practical. You know if they're not here in the afternoon. You know if they're not here on Wednesday nights. You know if they never volunteer for anything. You, you know that. You, you know if the husband's not being a good Christian husband or if the wife's not being a good Christian wife. But then it dawned on me, one of the reasons people suffer with the practical is perhaps very much related to the theological and a lack of understanding of the theological. The theological deals with our relationship with God. It deals with sin. It deals with heaven and hell. It deals with righteousness. It deals with... uh, abomination. It deals with uh, sanctification. It deals with all of those things. And I think sometimes we pastors maybe perhaps even overemphasize the practical because people like the practical, even if they don't live it, they, they like practical. But I think one of the reasons so many Christians suffer with the practical is they don't have a foundation in the theological. Such was the case at the church in Colossae. This was a church that was struggling theologically. And we'll say more about that in a second. And word gets to the Apostle Paul that they're struggling, and he writes a letter to straighten them out. And this letter deals primarily, it has a lot of practical in it, but it deals a lot with theological. And if you look at a lot of Paul's letters he divides them quite clearly into the theological and into the practical. And you know what he always starts with? The theological. And then he will get around to the practical. He lays down a theological foundation to motivate and encourage people as to why they should live the practical that he's going to teach. In my desire for you to get the practical right, I'm going to spend the next several Sundays focusing on the theological. And when you understand the big picture and when you understand what is at stake, I really believe it will help to motivate you to live the practical. Because not all Christian husbands are good Christian husbands. 
Not all young people are good Christian young people. Even though they go to a good church and they have been taught, they still struggle. Now, part of that is the sin-cursed world we live in and our fleshly nature and the temptation of Satan. I understand all of that. But the help that you're going to need in order to be the kind of husband, be the kind of wife, be the kind of son or daughter that you need to be, to avoid the friends you should avoid, to encourage the friendships that you should, to have your faith grow, it's imperative that you understand the theological, but that's always under attack. The church at Colossae, as we read through this, you're going to see that this was a church that was started, it was doing well, and lo and behold, it always happens In comes some person, whether they're well-meaning or sinister, spreading lies, upsetting the apple cart. Paul hears about this, and he writes them a letter, again, to set them straight. And he emphasizes here the theological. If you get the theological right, then everything else should fall into place. I want everything else here in your life and your family to fall into place and in our church to fall into place. So I want us to go back and look at this letter today, this morning and this afternoon and the next several weeks and emphasize the theological. And in that sense, let me, let me just warn you, it's not going to be real practical. And some of you, I'll lose you. You'll just drift off in the la-la land. I worry about you. You, you need to... Make sure that you're focusing in this morning and this afternoon. Because what we're going to read is critical. What we're going to study is absolutely critical. It is going to be more of a challenge to you to listen. But it is imperative that you show the character to pay attention to something that might be not quite so interesting as more practical things might be. Because, look, if I start preaching about being a good husband... The husband's going to listen, he's going to get mad, but the wife will be there elbowing him. You know, I won't have any problem keeping their attention, and vice versa, your husband and wife, children, whatever. But today we're going to focus unapologetically on the theological, and Paul deals with that in this letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, he starts off the letter simply introducing himself and, and telling them how much he appreciates them and loves them and appreciates their church, although he had never been there. And then he starts talking about Jesus. He's laying the foundation. And that's what I want to do here today and over the next several weeks is lay the foundation, get back to fundamentals. We pick up Paul's letter in chapter 1, verse number 15. He's talking about Jesus, and of Jesus he says this, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. See, very theological. That's not practical. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Some of you probably right now are going, that don't affect me. Now, if you talk about money and finances, I'll perk up. No, listen. This means something. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, don't don't start that. You're going to miss something so important. And he goes on to say, and he is before all things. Now, this is Paul talking to this church, emphasizing to them some extremely important foundational truths. And he tells to them, and it's recorded and preserved 
for these 2,000 years because it is equally important to Mayo Baptist Church today. And to us, he would say, and he, Jesus, is before all things. And by him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Verse number 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. That's unfathomable what we just read. When you really pause on a Sunday morning and put what you got to do tomorrow and what you did yesterday out of your mind, this is amazingly profound. Verse number 21, and you talking to people like us that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And then he says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am a minister. Talking this morning about the real Jesus. You ever meet somebody briefly, or know them from afar, and wonder what they would really be like? When I was doing graduate work at Pensacola Christian College, I loved the Wednesday night service. Because Dr. Bob Taylor was the pastor there. I went to a a church that was just mean spirit, ornery, pound the pulpit, personal intimidation, walk the aisles, putting their fingers in your face, all, all of the flesh. It didn't work. And I went to Pensacola and on Wednesday nights I heard a godly man with a deep knowledge of scripture. Who was also at the same time I would call a classy man. Preach the gospel every Wednesday night. And I was so impressed with Dr. Bob Taylor. And I thought, man, it would be so neat if I could get to know him. But I, you know, what are the chances of that? He's the, the pastor of the, you know, campus church at Pensacola Christian College. Well, it just so happened that he left there and he became the pastor of a big church in Indianapolis, Colonial Hills Baptist Church. And I don't know how this happened. I don't even remember how it came about. But it it came about that he came up here and preached a number of years ago. And we had the privilege of he and his wife staying upstairs at our house. And I was like a kid. You know, Bob Taylor is in my house upstairs. And I got up early one of the mornings after he had spent the night with us. And I didn't expect this. But I was sitting down at our living room table before daylight. Sun was just coming up, and I was drinking coffee. And I hear somebody come through the door. And he says, you got any more coffee? And I said, Dr. Taylor, you're up awfully early. And he and I sat there and drank coffee together and watched the sun rise over the lake. And I was in heaven. I got to know him. I got to know the real Bob Taylor, and I wasn't, and I haven't been disappointed. In this series, I don't want you to know Jesus from afar. I want you to know him up close and personal. 
And you learn that through his word. And I want you to come to know not the Jesus you think he is. You may be accurate, you may not. But I want you through God's word to know the Jesus that really is. Knowing who Jesus really is, is important for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of people have a false view of Jesus and who he is. I mean, understand this. This is a fact, folks. A lot of people don't believe he ever existed. A lot of people think that he's just a figment of some writer's imagination. A lot of people believe that. Still, others believe that he existed, but he was simply a good man. He was a good teacher. A lot of people, millions of people in this country have the wrong impression of Jesus in thinking that, well, yeah, he existed. We can't deny that. But he wasn't. He was, he was a good man. Some believe he existed, but he was a misguided individual. Yeah, he claimed to be God, but he wasn't because there is no God. So he had to have been you know, a misguided individual. The millions of people of Islam, maybe billions, however many there are, they believe in Jesus. They believe that he existed, but they don't believe in him like we do. They believe he was a prophet, nothing more, nothing less. He was the same as any other prophet. The Mormons believe he existed, but was, crea- was a created being, and he was not God in the flesh. The Jehovah Witness believe he existed, but he was also a created being. In other words, there was a time when he didn't exist, therefore not being equal to God. So it's important to know the real Jesus. One reason is because a lot of people have false views of Jesus, which leads us to point number two why it's important to know who Jesus is. If you get Jesus wrong and you're saved, at best your life will be confused misguided, unfulfilled, and probably overcome with unnecessary drama if you are a born-again Christian and you have the wrong view of Jesus. And if you're lost and have the wrong view of Jesus, you could spend eternity in hell. The issue of who Jesus was was the primary issue as to why Paul wrote to the Colossians. The Colossians gives to us an amazing and a very accurate view of who Jesus is. The Colossian church was located in what is today modern-day Turkey. And certain people had come into that church and were spreading false doctrine. That happened then, and that happens to this very day. And that's part of my responsibility as a pastor, to guard the gate and welcome people, but never welcome false doctrine, false ideas. It's Epaphras, who was a member of that church, a minister in that church, who went to Paul, who realized we got problems right here in River City, Sharon. Some of you will pick up on that. Some of you won't. But Epaphras realized he had problems there. Paul was in jail. Now, Paul had never been to that church, but Epaphras obviously had gotten to know Paul, and this church had started there in Colossae. Uh, Paul is in prison in Rome, and Epaphras goes to Paul. He needs help. And he goes to Paul, and he says, Paul... Our people are are getting confused. We have these false teachers coming in, and they're confusing the people, and they're saying Jesus isn't everything he was cracked up to be, and he was wrong about this, wrong about that, and he was a good man, but he wasn't this and he wasn't that. So Paul writes a letter to the Colossians. He couldn't go there because he's in prison. But he writes this, this very profound letter explaining to them Of course, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, really God sending this message through Paul to explain who Jesus is. Ray Stedman is a Christian commentator. I like his work. 
Ray Stedman says that the Colossian saints were in danger of losing a proper sense of the profound power and eminence of Jesus Christ in their own world. He says, and I amen this, many Christians are like this today. Many true believers appear to have little sense that Jesus is active in their lives here and now. He goes on to say, Some churches seem to treat Jesus as the British treat their monarch. They treat their monarchs with great respect and reverence and pay much lip service, but they really don't expect anything from them. That is the way Christians all too often treat the Lord Jesus. This passage, the one we're looking at today, calls us back to face the fact of who Jesus is. Simply, he is in charge of the universe. My hope and prayer is this will help us to all be able to implement the practical aspects of God's word better. A lot of people in this room struggle with entertainment. Some people struggle with the wrong friends. Some struggle with bad habits and addictions. Some, some in this room struggle from bad language. Some struggle with a bad temper. Some struggle with telling the truth. Some struggle with immodesty, if not downright immorality. But if you'll listen this morning and this afternoon to who the real Jesus is, I think it'll change your life. I think it'll encourage you. I think it will motivate you. We're going to look at verses 15 through 23 today, and it's going to reveal some extraordinary truths about Jesus that will undo you. We're going to divide the message up today into five parts. In verse number 15, we're going to look and understand that the real Jesus is God. Number two, the real Jesus created everything. Number three, this afternoon, the real Jesus is head of the church. Number four, this afternoon, the real Jesus is our redeemer. And number five, the real Jesus wants our commitment to the faith. Number one this morning, we learn from this passage, from the teaching of Paul, that the real Jesus is God. Do you understand that? A lot of folks don't even believe in God today. You know, now, how they rationalize that is beyond me. To me, the most obvious proof that there is a God is the fact that we are here. Amen? I mean, it is logical, it is reasonable, that where there is a creation, there is a creator. It is totally illogical to believe that we are here by sheer chance. It is absolutely mind-boggling that someone could accept the fact that out of nothing, and for no reason, we are here. You've got to be out of your mind to believe that. I mean, they say, well, at one time there was the Big Bang. Okay, where did that happen? I mean, if there was nothing, that means there was no, this is mind-blowing, but that means at one time there was no space for it to happen in, and there was no time, and there was no matter. So understand, first of all, that there is a God, there is a creator God, somebody really big, really smart, and Jesus, the real Jesus, is God. And Paul tells them that. Because they were confused. There were people coming in spreading rumors and false doctrines saying, well, he's not really God. He's one of many gods. And on and on it goes, raising doubts and raising question marks. And Paul says, I'll tell you exactly who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. When you looked at Jesus then or you think about him now, Paul makes it very clear. 
When you're looking at Jesus, he's not just another guy. He, he's not another Bob Carpenter or Tom Huber or any man or woman in this room. Some quotes today. One writer says, As image of God, the Son possesses such likeness to God as fits him to be the manifestation of God to us. Our Lord said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. This is the Son, the exact reproduction of the Father, a derived image. You understand what we're talking about this morning? Is is it getting to you? Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. Hard to imagine, but so true. Another writer said, Jesus Christ has enabled finite man to see what the infinite God is like. God is spirit and is therefore invisible. But in the person of Christ, God made himself visible to mortal eyes. In the sense, the Lord Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God made himself visible to mortal eyes. There is a God. And Jesus was God on this earth. He was the image of the invisible God. You are looking at in Jesus Christ. The invisible God. And it says the firstborn of every creature. Now this is important. Stick with me. This is deep stuff. But you need to listen. This is important. You have people that may knock on your door. Usually they go by two by two selling their literature. You know who I'm talking about? They get their beliefs primarily from this verse right here. Because it's said in, verse, in Colossians 1, verse number 15, that he is the firstborn of every creature. Several quotes here. Recognize that this verse is where many cults come to hang out, like vultures seeking unwary prey, not equipped with the truth and the sword of the word. Notice the cultists be they Jehovah Witness or other genre of false teachers, then conclude that firstborn clearly implies that Jesus is the first of several children born to Mary, as Scripture reveals there were other children born to her, and thus Jesus is in that sense the first created being. The Jehovah Witness believe that there was no Jesus before he was created, and he is a created being. He is not God. He is not equal to God. He's important. He's holy. He's righteous, they will tell you. They will try to build him up, but when you try to say that he is God come in the flesh, they disagree. And the reason they disagree is based on the fact that the verse says that he's the firstborn of every creature. Now, some of you might right now, you know, well, it does say that, Pastor. Maybe they're right and we're wrong. Not if you know your Bible. Not if you know proper interpretive techniques. You don't take one verse and build a doctrine on one verse. You can bear the Bible. One of the most important fundamental aspects of proper scriptural interpretation is that the Bible explains the Bible. You know, and if it says something that seems to be different than everything else, then you go to the everything else and then you'll understand what it is saying. John Piper, who I disagree with as far as... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Calvinism is concerned, but that doesn't make him wrong on everything. He's certainly a smart man, and I believe he loves the word of God. He says Colossians 1.16 clearly teaches that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Not in the sense that he is part of creation, but in the sense that he is over all creation. John 1.3 says without him was not anything made that was made. So you see, you let a Jehovah Witness tell you, well, look what it says there, the firstborn of every creation, of every creature, and you don't go to church regularly, you could be a victim of false advertising. 
But because you're here today, you say, wait a minute, no, what that means is he is, he is number one above all. This other quote, the word firstborn refers not to the first one created or born, but to the one who has the preeminence or the right to rule as heir, has the right to rule over his predecessor's estate. That's what that means. Oh, but you got to take time to go to church. You got to listen on purpose. And then you won't be tossed to and fro. The real Jesus is God. Number two. And this is the one I really want to emphasize this morning. The real Jesus created everything. Paul goes on to tell them, because they're getting confused about who Jesus is. These false prophets are coming in. He makes it very clear. And I mean, this isn't open to misinterpretation. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Philip says, He existed before creation began, for it was through him that everything was made, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. That wipes out what the Jehovah Witness wants you to believe. The meaning is what exists within the reach of vision and what exists beyond it. The object of which the eye can take cognizance and the glory which the eye hath not seen are equally the handiwork of Jesus. Wearsby sums this section up with the observation that everything exists in him, for him, and through him. Jesus Christ is the sphere in which they exist, the agent through which they came into being, and the one for whom they were made. The real Jesus created everything. And this is the profound thought I want to leave you with this morning, and we're done. You exist today because someone decided you would exist. You exist today because God decided you would exist. Apart from Jesus Christ, God the Son creating you, you don't exist. You and I exist by his will. He determined that we would exist. He determined when we would exist. He determined where we would exist. And guess what? He's going to determine when we cease to exist as far as in this fleshly body on this earth. Now, knowing that, Don't you think we ought to be obedient? Because he also gave us this manual for living. And how dare we ignore it when he decided that I would exist. He gave me breath. He gave me It says by, by him all things exist. By him all things that were made were made. Folks, that's life-changing right there. How can you go out of here then and do what you want to do and have your agenda and have your plans and your ideas? How arrogant that would be. Folks, we are here because someone decided we would be here. Now, for a Christian, that's awesome. 
I mean, some of you might be quaking in your boots right now because of the way you've been living and the way you've been ignoring God, and you go to church when you feel like it. You talk however you want to talk. You do whatever you want to do. But those that love the Lord say, yes, I know that. And I am so grateful that, that I'm here, that, that God created me. And, and I can have a relationship with him. And, and, he, and he loves me. And he wants the best for me. When you think in those terms, it doesn't get any better than that. Nothing to fear, nothing to quake in your boots about. When you have a proper biblical knowledge of God and how all this works, it's a good thing. Those that love the Lord, those that are saved, those that love coming to church, love reading their Bible, I mean, you get it, and you're not fighting it, and you have peace in your heart and purpose in your life that so many others are missing out on because they either think they got here by accident through a big bang, as foolish as that is, see point number one, or they know that they're a created being, but either in their arrogance or their obstinance, they live like they're in control. says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all, by him all things, including me, including my wife and my children, by him all things consist. That is wonderful news. He made us, he sent his son to save us, and we'll be with him forever and eternity if you know him as your savior. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.